called to be fruit inspectors. Jesus said, you'll know Christians by their fruit. But the things that they're judging one another over are not what the Bible says is fruit. The fruits of the Spirit are love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those things we're supposed to look at and say, hey, are you growing in these areas? Those are, those are matters for us to, to help one another and hold each other accountable on. But how you dress, as long as it's not like sinfully and immodest, right? We, you should come dressed, clothe yourselves. But, like, but how you dress is like, that's, that's a matter for discussion. It's between you and the Lord. Effectively, these weak Christians are saying, yeah, we're saved by grace through faith alone in Jesus, like Romans has been just harping on for us. But just to cover our bases, we still really ought to follow all these rules just to make sure that God is pleased with us. And here's here's what I want you to see. Again, weakness itself is not problematic for God. It's not. No, he welcomes our weakness. However, it begins to be problematic for us and for others when we start to rely on ourselves to try and make up for the weakness that we feel rather than turning to God. To put it another way, we could say that weakness becomes problematic when we try and start rowing our own boat. If we use the metaphor of of boating. To be strong in Jesus is to put up a sail is to catch the wind of the Spirit, to be propelled by the wind and the power and the strength of God, the Spirit. To cooperate with God, for Him to be our strength. The problem, however, always comes when we start to pick up the oars. And we start trying to to row ourselves in our own strength. We could define weakness in God's kingdom as self-reliance, rowing our own boat. And we could define strength in God's kingdom as God-reliance, putting up the sail, being propelled by the power and the wind of the Spirit. As we'll read in a moment from Romans 14, the weak here are trusting in their ability to conform to a set of cultural standards and rules. They're relying on those things so that they might feel a sense that God is happy to see them. That's what they're putting trust in. Their ability to adhere to a bunch of list of rules that they've determined. This is the right way to be spiritual. This is the wrong way to be spiritual. Because of this, Paul says that they're making a stink about disputable matters. They're making mountains out of molehills. And I think they're doing this for two reasons. Here's the two reasons why we get weak in faith. One is, sometimes we get insecure in our identity in Christ. We forget who we are in Christ. We forget that it's already been accomplished. Everything that needed to be done so that we could always know that God has grace, that he's always happy to see us, all of that work has been finished upon Christ. But as we live, as we fail, as we're weak, we forget that. And we we forget that our position and our security in Christ has been settled. And so we resort to works to try and make ourselves feel more secure. So we have an identity problem. That's one reason. Another reason that we become weak in faith is ignorance. Ignorance of God's word. We haven't actually read the Bible for ourselves. We've heard other people talk about it. You've come and listened to some sermons. Maybe you've watched a YouTube video or two or read a headline here or there, but you haven't actually cracked the thing open for yourself. And, and because of that, you haven't learned the character of God, what he's like. You might misunderstand the gospel and grace 
And you might, you might not understand what is an absolute in Scripture that has been clearly defined. And what's more of an ambiguous area, area a matter of, matter of freedom, freedom for, for our conscience. And so, I think because of insecure identities and ignorance of Scripture, these weak folks in faith, for them, cultural matters of food, feast, and fashion have become key indicators of a spiritual of a, of a maturity in, in spiritual things. And so Paul, he has some words for the weak in faith. He says, firstly, inform your conscience. Inform your conscience. Think through your convictions about what is right and what is wrong and determine for yourselves what is a matter that's disputable and what is something that has been settled in Scripture. What is settled sin in Scripture and, and what is a, a matter that, that we could talk about, that we could dialogue about. He says if it's a settled matter of sin, if it's a main and plain thing in Scripture, then kindly and gently, if your brothers and sisters aren't adhering to those things, you should make a stink. Hold one another accountable. But if it's not one of those main and plain things, just keep your scruples between you and the Lord. It's a matter of conscience. You shouldn't judge one another Right? And that's what he says in verse 22, which we'll read. If it's a cultural issue of conscience that's not abundantly clear in Scripture, keep, keep your stink, your scruples, between you and, and Jesus. Mind your own business, he says, about food, feasts, and fashion. Don't contem- condemn your brothers and sisters who dress differently or eat differently or have decided to celebrate different holidays from you. These aren't matters of salvation or or matters of eternal significance. Eating meat or not eating meat can't save you. As we'll read in verse 17, the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. That's not how we get into the kingdom. No. But of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So Paul says, in disputable things, follow your own Holy Spirit-informed conscience without making a stink for others. Now, if you're feeling kind of strong this morning, like me, you might already start to be thinking, right? Your heart might be going, you're nodding in agreement, right? All these uptight Christians just need to chill out a little bit. All these weak Christians, just chill out, man. Just, just learn to live some, some freedom in Jesus. If I want to have a beer occasionally, I'm going to, right? I'm strong. He set me free. Not so fast. Not so fast. Remember, the kingdom is not a matter of eating and drinking, right? Well, that does mean that, yes, there is freedom. There's freedom with food and drink in moderation. The Bible is very clear. Drunkenness is sinful, right? So if we're going to talk about alcohol, let's talk about alcohol not in excess. The Bible says don't drink to excess. Don't be drunk. The drunkards will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. It's very clear on that. But it's also clear that there's freedom, like Ecclesiastes. Eat, drink, and be merry, right? So, the, while, we are, while we are free, we are, there is some level of freedom in Jesus with food, feast, and fashion. The kingdom of heaven is not about eating and drinking, true. But don't forget the second part of verse 17. The second part of verse 17 informs us also that our lives in Christ are not meant to be solely about enjoying these freedoms, You're not saved so you can just be free and do whatever you want. No. The focus of our lives is not to enjoy the freedoms of Christ for freedom's sake. No. But to live our lives in such a way that brings about the righteousness of Christ, 
the peace of Christ, and the joy of the Spirit for as many people in our world as possible. This means that while the weak might be overly sensitive sometime about issues they shouldn't be, they might look at the strong and, and see like, you're, you're just living a license to sin. The strong should check their heart. Maybe they are, but maybe they're not. That's the weak's problem. But the other problem for the strong is to look out at the weak and just be like, bro, bro, chill out. Like, we'll just dismiss them. That's your problem. You deal with this. Get over it. It's not a big deal. I'm free in Jesus. Don't be so legalistic, the strong in faith might say. And this is where the dilemma and the difficulty comes from having those who are weak in faith and those who are strong in faith in the same room. Now, what's the solution? How are we all supposed to get along in Jesus? Firstly, as we'll see, God expects the strong to deal tenderly and patiently with the weak. He expects the strong to consider the weak as more important than themselves, to consider their interest more above than they they consider their own. He says the strong can help the weak learn to discern what is a matter that has been settled. It's settled sin, you're right, we we should get upset about these things. Or what is a matter that's we can dialogue about a matter of conscience. We can help our weak brothers and sisters understand scriptures and learn and grow in discernment. And also we can live with an aim to make sure that we never put a stumbling, fro- stumbling block in front of them and that we work to build them up and maintain peace within our fellowship. Along with this, Romans 14 points out that both the weak and the strong would be wise to remember that neither one of us is superior. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, right? Neither of us have the right to sit on God's throne as judge. Why? Because all of you, you don't serve me. You serve God. You're not my servants. All Everyone else, they're not your servants. We're God's servants, which means only he has the right to pass judgment. We don't have that right. Only Christ alone gets to pass judgment, especially in areas that are disputable. And if it is in regards to these disputable matters, Paul says we would all be really wise to make every effort, every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. We should all work to build each other up, to make us all look more like Jesus. So to summarize, as we'll read in a minute, Romans 14 teaches us that if we're going to get along in church, we need to aim to be more like Jesus. Treat weakness tenderly and patiently, seek to edify, encourage, educate our brothers and sisters as to what God has taught and what he's given us freedom in. So he says the strong can learn by accepting the weak with the same tenderness and patience that God accepts us and work to build up the faith of the weak. He says the weak, they can, they can learn to be more like Jesus by repenting of their dependence upon their own ability to follow some cultural custom, right? And and hope that that makes God happy to see them. And they can choose rather to rest on the finished work of God. And they can work to grow in discernment as well. So that's Romans 14. With all of that said, how about we read it together? Romans 14, we'll be reading out of the NLT. It'll be on the screen as well. Starting in verse 1, Paul writes, Accept other believers who are weak in faith, And don't argue with them 
about what they think is right or wrong, disputable matters. For instance, one person believes it's right to eat anything, but another believer with a sensitive conscience will eat only vegetables. Those who feel free to eat anything must not look down on those who don't. And those who don't eat certain foods must not condemn those who do, for God has accepted them. Who are you to condemn someone else's servants? Their own master will judge whether they stand or fall. And with the Lord's help, with his strength, they will stand and receive his approval. In the same way, some think that one day is more holy than another, while others say that every day is alike. You each should be fully convinced that whichever day you choose is acceptable. Those who worship the Lord on a special day, do it to honor him. And those who eat any kind of food, do so to honor the Lord as well, since they give thanks to God before eating. And those who refuse to eat certain foods also want to please the Lord and give thanks to God. For we don't live for ourselves or die for ourselves. If we live, it's to honor the Lord. And if we die, it's to honor the Lord. So whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Christ died and rose again for this very purpose, to be the Lord of both the living and the dead. So why do you condemn another believer? Why do you look down on another believer? Remember, we will all stand before the judgment seat of God, for the scriptures say, As surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow to me, and every tongue will declare allegiance, praise to God. Yes, each of us will give a personal account to God. So, let's stop condemning each other. Decide instead to live in such a way that you will not cause another believer believer to stumble and fall. I know I am convinced on the authority of the Lord Jesus that no food in and of itself is wrong to eat. But if someone believes it's wrong, then for that person, it is wrong. And for if, if any other believer is distressed by what you eat, you're not acting in love if you eat it. Don't let your eating ruin someone for whom Christ died. Then, we, you, then you will not be criticized for doing something you believe is good. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of what we eat or drink, but of living a life of goodness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. If you serve Christ with this attitude, you will please God, and others will approve of you too. So then, Paul says, let us aim for harmony in the church and try to build each other up. Don't tear apart the work of God over what you eat. Remember, all foods are acceptable but it is wrong to eat something if it makes another person stumble. It is better not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything else if it might cause another believer to stumble. You may believe there's nothing wrong with what you're doing. I love this part. But keep it between yourself and God. Keep it between you and the Lord. Blessed are those who don't feel guilty for doing something they've decided is right. But if you have doubts about whether or not you should eat something, you're sinning if you go ahead and do it. For you're not following your convictions. And if you do anything you believe is not right, you are sinning. Paul's saying, follow your Holy Spirit-guided conscience. If it's an elevated matter of salvation, then hold each other accountable. If it's a matter of personal conviction between you and the Lord, then hold yourself accountable. And let God be the judge of everyone else. Now, 
we're going to move into a time of communion. And I did not plan it this way, but we serve a God who is sovereign, and I can't believe how well it fits together in light of what we just read. Getting along in the church community can be really hard. I often make the joke with people, you know, the church would be great if people weren't a part of it. (laughs) It's true, isn't it? We are weak people. We're sheep. And we are incredibly judgmental at times. Now, I'm biased, but I think the Lord is doing some awesome stuff here in this community of Crossroads. I think we're getting along fairly well. That's not true for every church. We're going to read about a church in the Bible that did not get along well. They were having all kinds of issues, not about salvation issues, about disputable matters. In 1 Corinthians 11, they're having all kinds of issues about disputable matters. 1 Corinthians 11, starting in verse 17. Listen to some of these disputable matters. Paul says, in following, but, in, but in the following instructions, so what I'm about to talk about, I can't praise you. For it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Y'all are fighting with one another all the time. It's not good. First, I hear that there are divisions among you when you meet as church. And I believe it. He says, of course, there must be some divisions. He's talking about salvation level settled sin issues. There's got to be some divisions, he says, so that, that we know who God approves of, right? And they can be recognized. So I get that. But the divisions that you all are having aren't unsettled sin salvation matters. No. This is what y'all are fighting about, right? You meet together and you're not really interested in the Lord's Supper. You're interested on feasting and filling your stomach with food. Some of y'all are getting drunk, he says, in church. He says, as a result, because you're all making it about the food and not about the gospel and Jesus, some of the poor who actually need to be fed are going home hungry. You're not caring for one another. Do you really want to disgrace God's church and shame the poor, he says in verse 22? What am I supposed to say? Do you want me to praise you? He says, well, I can't praise you for this. So they're dividing. They're squabbling over disputable matters. It's a mess. And what is Paul's solution for all of this dissension and quarreling? It's to take communion. Verse 23. For I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it into pieces and he said, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he took of the cup of wine after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this in remembrance of me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death. You are reminding yourselves who is responsible for you to even have faith to begin with. He says, this is why some of you are weak. Some of you have died because you're judging yourselves over things that don't matter to the Lord. You're fighting over disputable matters. He says, stop focusing on these externals and fix your eyes on Jesus. It wasn't your body that was broken. You people who think you're strong, was it your body that was broken? Was it your blood that was shed? No, Jesus said it was mine. And to those who are weak, 
That they go, out, they go out through their week and they failed yet again. And they come in and they feel their weakness. And so they look to how they dress and the food they eat. And they look to their conduct. And they look to their conduct to try and make them feel better about their standing before the Lord. He says, brothers and sisters, do not look at your weakness. Look to Jesus. It is not about food or feast or fashion what you wear. It is about the finished work of Christ. He says, if you want to get along in church, take communion. Take it often. Don't focus on the food, on the feast, on the fashion. Focus on the finished work of Jesus. That will humble those of us who think we're strong. And that will elevate those of us who think we're weak. And then we'll all be right there with one another. Able to love each other in a way that looks insanely different and lovely and desirous to our world that operates on Twitter with dissension. We will make a big deal about the things that matter and everything else we will keep private between us and the Lord. So here's what we're going to do, church. We are going to take communion together. We're going to pass the bread First, we've got a couple ushers, you, you guys who are ushering and gals, you can come and, and, and grab it. We're going to pass the bread out, and we're going to wait till everybody gets the bread, and then we're all going to take it together as a unified church, the weak and the strong, in one place because of Jesus. I'll say a little prayer, we'll partake, and then we'll do the exact same thing with the juice. Sound good? All right, let's distribute the bread. settled sin in your life and you don't feel comfortable partaking of the elements today, you can let it pass by. That is an entirely appropriate thing to do. Also, if you're not sure whether or not you have a relationship with Jesus, one, you could start one today and then you're free to take. Or if you, if you don't want to let it pass by, that's fine too. bread represents the body of Christ, which was broken for you and for me. Take and remember Christ's strength that covers our weakness.
Father, thank you. Thank you for this tangible representation of the body of your son who was broken for us. Father, I pray that you'd never allow us to get too big for our britches and thinking that we, we could save ourselves. And I pray that you'd never let us get so low to think that, that there's some failure or some weakness in our life, in our past, that would ever keep us from coming into your presence. pass out the juice take this time as you wait to maybe do some soul searching you could ponder and reflect whether you could use some more humility as a strong person of faith or whether you could use to be built up as a weak person of faith invite Jesus to go to work on your heart and bring some of that healing juice represents the blood of Christ which was shed for you. Take and remember Christ's strength that covers our weakness. Would you pray with me and the band can come up. We're going to sing a final song. Lord Jesus, you and you alone are our firm foundation. We are not held by our own strength, Lord. We are held by building our life upon you. 
pray, Father, that you would help us to live in light of that reality. Pray that you would help us to live in light of your strength. When we feel weak, would you be strong for us? When we're questioning our identity, would you settle things in our heart? Would you give us a greater degree of assurance? Call us back to communion and your table. Remind us that it was your body, it was your blood that was shed for us. Pray, Father, that you would help us to get along. Help us to love one another in such a otherworldly way that people would look at our community and they would say, man, what, what is different? And Father, when they ask that question in curiosity, may you empower us to tell them, it's Jesus. It's all because of Jesus. We love you, Lord. It's in your name we pray.